Hello. Hey, Tyler. Can you hear? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. All right, perfect. How are you doing? I'm uh, I'm well, and just uh, I actually I got I'm, I'm usually not a morning person, but I, I joined a group ride this morning with a bunch of older guys at 5:45 a.m. So I've been out and I've already back from breakfast, and I think I'll head back to bed after this. <laughs> nice. You sort of front loaded the day then. Yeah, that's not a not typically my style, especially being in this quarantine. And I'm uh, I'm a I'm not a morning person, so I'm I tend to delay it till like right before sunset. Has uh, has quarantine in some ways been quite good from that point of view? Then being able to slightly indulge your well indulge yourself to your own schedule. Uh, I think yes and no. I think a few days a week would be okay, but I like having a group and a coach around keep me accountable just because I'll always do the training but uh yeah I think I just end up pushing it back just because I'm not a morning person yeah I got in the pool for the first time in three months three and a half yeah three months yesterday wow so uh I'm out of shape in the water but uh at least now I have some time to get back in shape how did it feel was it were you like somewhat shocked by where you were pleasantly surprised or I was kind of right in the middle. I was like, because I was kind of thinking this is either going to be really, really bad or I'm going to be like really pleasantly surprised. And then I was kind of like, huh. It was like kind of not great and not terrible. So I was like, I'll take that. You know, <laughs> I don't I don't need to win medals in my first swim back. But uh, I did a, like a 50 meter sprint at the end of it just to like kind of see where I'm at. Uh, it wasn't written in the program, but uh, I finished and I was like, thinking in my head like this is the time and it was I was nowhere close to it but right. it is what it is <laughs> what what sort of duration was the session then for the first what time back in uh it was like 3k but uh so not super long but definitely I, a bit tiring I've done a lot of swim bands and tying myself up in my backyard a few times mm. but it's just not the same as real swimming uh so obviously I kept like the, the muscle mass in that area, but obviously the actual feeling of the water and the energy cardio system, I was breathing a lot harder. Uh, you, you, you know, forget how to breathe underwater properly, all those little things. Were you like, did you feel genuinely like excited about the prospect the day before? Yeah, to be honest, I'm not a big fan of swimming in general in the pool. I love open water. Love, I love racing, like in the, you know, and swimming and triathlon. But uh, training in the pool is just uh, very monotonous. You know, you, you swim on a black line, you stare at it, go back and forth for, you know, an hour or two most days. So for me to look forward to swimming, I never thought I'd see the day or hear the day when I was like, wow, oh, you know, kind of had a pep in my step and walk into the, into the gym to go swim. And I was like, man, this hasn't happened since ever. <laughs> <laughs> really? So whereabouts are you at the moment? Where or, and where is it? The same place that you've been for the last few months? Yeah, I so I was in Portugal, then I'm in Winnipeg now. So this is like my where my parents live. It's in the middle of Canada, uh, and I'm here until further notice. I might head out west in Canada because uh, that's kind of where the national training center is. But there's no point in me rushing out and, uh, until I know that racing is going to happen for sure. Is it kind of, are you still in the same area where you grew up? Kind of? Yeah, so I'm just outside the city of Winnipeg. It's called Oak Bluff, but my parents built a house 25 years ago or 26 now when I was being born. And uh, they've lived in that house my whole life. And I, this is where I grew up and 
played hockey and then started everything here. And then I think I, I counted, it was seven years since I spent this much time at home, which is pretty wild. Uh, and yeah, seven years since I've been in one place without taking an airplane this long, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Well, and they must be loving having you there, right? Yeah. They, they love having me around, but, uh, I'm used to being on my own. So it's weird for me to like try to go back into like living in with other people's routine and stuff when you're so used to living on your own or in your own world. It's, it's, uh, it's hard to function back in normal life sometimes. Probably magnified when it's your parents. Yeah, of course. Well, I started traveling when I was like 19, so they still treat me like a 19-year-old when I come home. My dad is, like, we have an amazing backyard, amazing house. My dad is constantly working on it whenever he's not working, which this year he's not working right now because of everything. He's in sports. Like, my dad's a cameraman, Mm -hmm. and so all that's canceled. So he's just been, he's built a pool house in the backyard and all this stuff, so it's been good. And so is that is that where you would normally go back to in close season anyway, though? No, so typically I'm in Victoria, BC, uh, during the summer. But uh, last summer I did the first summer in years and years and years. I came here and spent a month here with three other athletes uh, who actually just came and stayed in my house. And we did a training camp. One stayed at my next door neighbor, who is my best friend. Uh, we did a month here and it was awesome. I think uh, we all have uh, fond memories of it still. Amazing. And to be able to show them, like, the roots that presumably, yeah, you cut your teeth on as a kid. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun to, I think, anytime you're anywhere, just to, like, show someone or, you know, show off your city, whether it's, uh, in this case, it was training, but also I, the two of them are Australian, and they never had, I don't know if you've had, but hot mini donuts. You get them at, like, sporting events. Right, no. You've never had them? No. Oh my gosh, they're amazing. They're like, yeah, hot mini donuts and they come in like packs of 12 and they're basically brown sugar and cinnamon and they're probably slowly kill you, but they are amazing. So it was like little things like that. Were they athletes from the kind of elite circuit or from just a different setup? Yeah, so Ben Shaw, who's who's grew up in uh, Australia, but he's Irish, races for Ireland. Cassie Shaw is Australian. And then the Canadian guy who uh, was in the national team last year named Alexander Hinton. Oh, cool. So all, uh, all all great athletes and just good dudes. And all, was that under the watch of a coach or you kind of guys just setting your own stuff and, and kind of egging Yeah, it? so I'm coached by John O'Hall, the national team coach for Canada, but he was giving us program online and directing at that. And then we were just working within what we had here. So we had uh, a little bit of help and support while we were here, but the general program was from a coach. And then we kind of just built it out. And again, like, we didn't have to wake up and do a session exactly at eight. We could make it at 9 a.m., which was, was kind of nice as well. <laughs> I grew up playing a lot of winter sports, but come summer or spring, I remember I would just spend, I'd probably spend 10 or 11 hours a, a day outside during the summer as a kid. Hmm. And my parents would a lot of times have to go looking for me and I wouldn't eat. I would just go out with my friends and, you know, bring one, one little water bottle and they'd see me 10 hours later. So uh, inadvertently, I think that's something like you look at it now and go, wow, that's, you know, maybe that's when I kind of fell in love with being outside all the time and being outdoors, maybe not necessarily directly sport related, but definitely has a relation. Yeah. So yeah, looking back to looking back to like March, how did your close season go? Where had you been sort of in, um, in kind of January, February, and then how did you end up in Portugal? Um, well, it was a kind of a whirlwind of events. So we, we trained in Phoenix most of the time 
and we were training there over the winter, you know, November, December, January. And we were planning on going to Cape Town, actually. So we were going to train in Stellenbosch, uh, but that race unfortunately got canceled. So we said, okay, well, where's nice? And we ended up in Portugal in a lovely spot called Quinta do Lago. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely we'll be returning there. It was awesome. People are super friendly and great trails. All the stuff you want and good, good food, which is important for me as well. But um, yeah, I did about a month there and then was planning on racing Abu Dhabi. Obviously that got canceled and I was about an hour and a half drive from European duathlon championships in Huelva, which was just by chance. So I said, well, might as well race. So I signed up for that and uh, drove over to that. And that was a blast. I never really done an a, elite duathlon uh, or never successfully, at least uh, my last one didn't go so well. So uh, that was really nice to mix it up with the new crowd. I mean, you had some people like Allie Brownlee there that obviously were trap play mainstream, but a lot of them were just duathlon specialists. So that was a lot of fun. There was some fast running going on there, and uh, it ended up being won by a French guy, and Ali was fourth and a French guy third, but uh, the French guy who won is actually quite a renowned runner. He's run, almost, I think, 210 for the marathon, so uh, can pretty much make the Olympic team for France in, the, in running alone, so... Uh, yeah, he got me at the line and uh, unfortunate, but uh, maybe I would have found a bit more edge if it was uh, more on the line for me. But obviously, being European championships, I could not stand on a podium no matter what place I came. So I can still get uh, like duathlon points, but not necessarily like, you know, place any medals, which for me, it wasn't really a big deal. I just wanted to race and have fun. So that was the main thing and uh, get some comp friendly competition. We waited so long and I'm for one of the fortunate ones that. There was kind of that race in Maluba that went on, and I at least got to do one. So pretty happy that I got one off, and sure I was in some good form. But uh, yeah, definitely after that, uh, things changed. Yeah. So did you get the feeling that duathlon was probably going to be like your last race for a good while? What was to be honest? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really think. I, I thought you know this could be a bit a little bit of a blip, and obviously none of us knew how serious it was going to be. I was still on the start list for Sarasota World Cup, so. I think I was supposed to fly like on the Friday and on the Wednesday, I found out everything was getting canceled. So I had to book all my flights, try to get back to Canada. I remember driving to pick up a rental car where I was and I was on the phone to do this and do that. It was a hectic 24 hours to try to, to try to get home. Yeah. Then I had to spend, I spent 14 days completely isolated in my basement at home. Yeah. Uh, it was rule of Canada came from Europe. You had to, so I had no, no talking to people, no visiting. I got food dropped to the top of the stairs. It was a pretty wild time in my life. Obviously, I got picked up by my parents and just, I was in the back there in the front and then basically went straight down to the basement and didn't see them for 14 days. Did you know a few days in advance that that was going to happen or was that all part of it? No, this? nothing. I, I was literally flying home uh, trying to figure out what I was doing. I remember people were sitting beside me on the flight and they're from the UK and they were flying to West Coast Canada to go on a holiday. And I'm thinking in my head, I don't know what you're, <laughs> what you're getting on this airplane, uh, but I'm sure they got stuck in Canada for a while. Like literally, how did you cope with being in the, in the basement? Was it, did you manage like psychologically? Was it okay? Yeah. I mean, as okay as it's going to be, I think that any athlete you speak to, it's, a, it's not an easy time. Um, but obviously there's two types of, reactions you can bury yourself into training which i've seen some athletes do and there's some athletes who went the opposite way 
and just kind of, you know, stopped training. Hmm. I was probably somewhere in the middle, more even keeled. I kind of, you know, knew racing wasn't around the corner, but knew, you know, this is my job. I've got to stay in shape and stay on track. And so I kind of just kept ticking along and, um, you know, that's kind of my mentality now is obviously I'm building up a bit more for this end of this season if it does happen, but, uh, there's no point in me being, uh, in flying fitness in, in April, if there's no racing, uh, just a high risk of injury as I see it, because we didn't have any massage, any physio, anything like that. So, um, staying healthy was one of the hardest parts I think for any athlete. So your return to living at home for a few months started with your parents having to deliver you food to the top of the stairs as you lived in the basement. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, first time being home for this long in seven or eight years, and I don't even get to see them for the first two weeks, but I'm sure they've had enough of me now, and uh, they're probably ready to get rid of me. Presumably, like the, the Team Canada people must have been like very concerned, and were, were they in touch a lot? and keeping tabs and giving you kind of all the support you needed as well. Yeah, totally. I think uh, they did a really good job. Uh, Triathlon Canada in general did a really good job at setting up, you know, strength calls and doing swim cords and all, all the things to kind of keep a routine as an athlete or as a person. I think routine and habit is such a big thing for us. And if you fall out of it, uh, it's easy to get uh, unmotivated or, you know, slack a little bit for me so i think they did a good job of trying to keep routine and keep some normalcy to this uh wild world we live in hmm. do you think like either through this slightly a lot well either through the psychological kind of challenges of being stuck in quarantine or the subsequent returning to training is there anything that you have started to introduce or found out about yourself or that you think you can then use going forward like have you taken any positives that you'll be able to bring into your racing do you think yeah definitely um I think that's that's the answer everyone wants to say but I've honestly yeah I I mean I've kind of known a little bit in the past but I think what I've noticed is my ability to switch on and off as an athlete I think some athletes are always on and some athletes struggle to get on and I think that I've learned in this time that that's maybe one of my strengths is being able to turn on and off the switch. And by what I mean by that is, uh, you know, being able to, if you're carrying into every session every day is triathlon and super high intensity and you're really zoned in, it's just, for me, it's not sustainable. Uh, so that doesn't mean I'm not doing all the training and working hard. It's just being able to unplug a little bit. Uh, and I think I did an okay job at it in this period, which is for me has been important for, for mental health and physical health and everything. And at the end of last season, which had obviously been such a, a big one, did it take more out of you or did it kind of leave you more fired up to want to start the next one even quicker? Yeah, so I finished my season. I did uh, Banyolas World Cup, which is the week after Lausanne. Mm. Had an okay race there. And then I actually took some uh, took some took a little bit of time off. I spent some time in Girona, Spain, and just basically ate and drank my way through uh, the coffee shops there. Uh, and kind of recharge and then end up racing Super League at the end of the year, which was uh, I wasn't in flying fitness for, obviously, because I had taken a bit of a break. But uh, I didn't I think I actually I started this year after my offseason um, uh, a bit hungrier than I than I have in previous years. And I think it's because I did take a break uh, after my last world triathlon race, uh, which I typically just continue on all the way to uh, 
after Super Leagues. So I think starting this year, I was, you know, super motivated. I, I headed a bit earlier to Phoenix than I normally do, just because it being an Olympic year, I wanted to be just completely zoned in and focused. And uh, it ended up working quite well. Like I was in good shape for the time of the year without doing too much uh, specific stuff. So uh, I'll probably try to follow a similar plan if it's at all possible, uh, you know, this fall leading into next year. Uh, and that that little time in Banyolas then, must it must be incredibly satisfying to get to the end of a season and, and not have any, like, I don't know, whether it's regrets or whatever about a season that... Yeah, I mean, it's really hard, I think, as an athlete to go, we all need to do it, but at the end of the year, if you haven't had a great year or you're not happy with how it has... and you physically have to take a rest, but you don't really mentally want to because, you know, you're not satisfied and you still want to, you know, keep, keep grinding as they say. But uh, I think when you've had a good year, you can sit back and actually, uh, and you don't lose the fire, but, you know, go, okay, you know, I deserve this break and it's going to make me better to take a little bit of time off. And maybe I had a bit more of that this year, uh, a bit more relaxed, you know, in the off season where I didn't have that same urgency, but, Again, I when I flip the switch, it's on and off. So when I'm off, it really off. And when I went down to Phoenix, then I was you know back in the zone. I was taking away training and really you know focusing on what I was doing. The perfect season is impossible, right? So if you're chasing that, you're inevitably going to be disappointed. Do you, have you tended to finish seasons in feeling like you know very content with where you are? Um, yeah, I think 2017 is an exception to that. Uh, I didn't have a great year 2017, just a few things off. And, uh, I'm not sure if you knew, but after the, I basically had a, uh, femoral stress reaction in my, uh, femoral neck after the Olympics. So I, I almost didn't run for six months. So then obviously going into 2017, that was highly affected, uh, cause I just didn't, couldn't train for six months properly. Uh, and I think that's the only year that I kind of finished. And I, you know, I was pretty disappointed, but I think then 2018, I came out firing. And for me, one of the things I've also learned through this and, you know, injuries or whatever, is that usually I have my best races and my, uh, my best years after tough times, uh, it lights that fire back in my belly. I think as athletes, when you've been in the sport for 10 years, uh, the fire in your belly will always be there, but it, it obviously burns higher at some points and lower at some uh, so sometimes, you know, uh, the setbacks, you know, make the, the fire burn a bit more. And as, as far as experiences go in your career so far, how was Rio 2016? Yeah, I mean, I was a kid in a candy shop. I was just so happy to be there. Uh, I remember starting the year and having to, there was three WTSs races before the end of qualifying, and I had to come top 12 in all three races. And for me at the time, that was pretty challenging. And I came 10th, 11th, 10th. So uh, when I got selected for the games, it was uh, obviously I trained hard and was really focused, but I was kind of the mentality that like I had already overreached my expectations by going to the games. Um, and yeah, that said, I, I was training really hard and that's how I ended up injuring myself for the Olympics. Mm. But uh, yeah, like kid in the candy shop mentality. Like I remember walking through the Olympic village and just, you know, staring at athletes from other sports or, or whatever that, you know, I grew up watching like, I remember walking to the cafeteria and seeing Usain Bolt on his balcony with a few of his buddies, just bumping some music and dancing along. And it's things like that, that you remember outside of the race. Every sport is very obviously unique and how you get to the top is very unique. And that's kind of one of the things that I've liked. I did this fall. We did a 
bonding Canadian team Olympic for all the sports. And it's just interesting to hear the different stories and how different sports work. Cause you really don't know how the inside of other sports work. You just see them from the outside. So it's pretty interesting to see the journeys of everyone from your country or other countries and all the different sports. You also obviously had a, the Canadian hall of fame with, with Simon Whitfield, right? Did, was it you presenting him with that trophy? And yeah, that was, that was wonderful. I, I got reached out like a few weeks before and they said, Hey, we've got, Hall of Fame dinner. We're inducting Simon Whitfield into the Canadian Olympic Hall of Fame. So not not just triathlon, but all sport. Uh, are you around? And I, I was like, oh, that's that's like 36 hours after my last race. And I was like, I'm coming from Malta. So I flew right from Malta into Toronto, and it was obviously dress apparel and didn't have a suit. So I went out that I arrived late that night. Went out the next morning, bought a suit, and presented him with his award that afternoon. And uh, it was a pretty special moment because. Simon didn't know I was coming. Uh, he thought it was just going to be, uh, you know, as a politician or someone who worked for Triathlon Canada. So it was pretty special to share that moment with him. I know uh, he was a big inspiration in me getting into the sport. And even growing up as a junior, he was always that guy who was willing to help. Or if you had questions, you know, at the time it was Twitter, but you could, you know, message him on Twitter and he was always one to help. So pretty special to share that moment with him. Here's a good example. I was racing junior nationals and it was a senior national championships. And I think the day before we're doing swim recon, he was the type of guy that I was so starstruck. I remember getting out of the water and going to talk to my coach. And I was just so excited that I was swimming within like 20 meters of Simon Whitfield. It was just like such a cool thing. And he was just this, you know, character that I knew that way. And then as I, you know, started to come up through the ranks as a junior, uh, he kind of re- always would reach out and say, you know, if you ever need anything or you ever have questions, just let me know. And uh, that's that's pretty cool. I think it's, it's you know, when you get to the higher level in sports, it's nice to hear or see athletes who, you know, give back through, through younger generations, whether it's from your country or not. It's pretty special when someone can do that and help out, you know, an upcoming generation, knowing that they're going to, you know, take their place or overtake them eventually. It was Montreal where you got third, right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And and that was your first WTS podium? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I got in the World Cup podium the year before for the first time, and then that was pretty, pretty cool. It's just kind of interesting to compare the emotion there, and obviously it was at home as well, so that must have added to it. But then compare that to winning in Tokyo and the, the kind of fist punch of the, the, the tape. Did that does that represent like a slight difference in your having achieved that first podium in WTS and then like the, the Tokyo was like a very different reaction? Oh, it was uh, definitely the whole package as you as you speak about. I mean, uh, a WTS podium was one of my goals as an athlete growing up was to stand on one of the biggest podiums in triathlon, and to do it at home was pretty surreal. But I think what made it pretty emotional was I was hurting so much in that race and it's probably one of the deepest i've ever dug and uh uh you know every time i was about to get dropped i'd hear go tyler or see someone i knew and just was just found every ounce of energy i had so you know when you do that and you get the most of yourself and it's a result that you're happy with uh in front of a home crowd uh yeah you, you emotions overtake you and like none of that is planned um, versus what you speak about in Tokyo was maybe a different reaction. Um, Tokyo, I went in 
with just this laser focus and this exact process of what I wanted to do. Uh, and I think Tokyo was almost like a bit of a, a bit of a shock. Cause it was all of a sudden I was, you know, sprinting, I was leading down the, the carpet and I, I didn't even realize what had happened at the time versus Montreal. I'd suffered through every single moment and the race felt like ever. So when I finally got to the finish line, there was a bit more emotion versus Tokyo was kind of a blur. It just snapped by pretty quickly. Tokyo and Montreal were special because uh, I don't normally say, but like there's not a lot of feedback in training. You know, I do training and racing's not one in training, but I remember specifically before Montreal and before Tokyo, a few weeks before both events, uh, I remember talking to my coach and saying, you know, these races are going to be good. Uh, and I don't say it that often because obviously I go in optimistic to every race that I can do well, but there's something about both those races that. I just strongly believe for some reason before the race, whether it was just my confidence or however I was, you know, going about it, it was those two races all year were the ones that I said beforehand was, yeah, something special is going to happen this weekend. Mm. Uh, and sure enough, they did. So that shows you how powerful, uh, when you convince yourself of something's going to happen, that it, it can happen. Yeah. Tokyo definitely suits me. It's, it's really, really hot. Uh, I'm a small guy. I do well in the heat, uh, don't do well in the cold, unfortunately. Uh, but that's, you know, that plays to my strength. And that's kind of looking at it from a few years ago to now. That was, you know, one of the big positives of Tokyo is how hot it is. Uh, it makes it a really tough race. And it changed the dynamic, if you speak to anyone, changed the dynamic of a race. Uh, which is kind of why this year I raced a Tokyo World Cup uh, instead of Leeds. It was on the, the same weekend because I felt like, well, if I can race in Tokyo, which is even hotter, uh, well, I can race Tokyo. So I think going out and doing the Tokyo uh, and proving to myself in the back of my mind, which I already thought about, was that I could do well in the heat, you know, it gives you an extra confidence to yourself. Do you feel part of a new wave of triathlon? And do you think the sport is ready for some new some new personalities and some some names writing their, themselves into history? Yeah, I mean, this year was interesting. Uh, uh, you know, how many different podiums and winners we had on the male side. I think that's the first time in years and years and years that we've seen such variety. Mm. And I think it's just about how high the level is now and how deep it is, is that, you know, if you're off a percent, you see the same guy that won a WTS the next weekend come 10th or 15th because he's just off that little percentage. And that's how high the level is now. Yeah. I mean, that been coming, these guys have raced, since I was 16, 17, I, I remember losing a sprint to Yella in uh, 2011 Beijing Junior Worlds. I, he was 18th, I was 19th, right. and uh, Christian Blumenfeld was 14th. So, uh, you know, we, that was, you know, 10 seconds separated us, you know, nine years ago now, and we're still racing each other. So uh, it's definitely, it, it didn't happen overnight, that's for sure. Well, thanks, man. That's been great. Um... Thanks, buddy. Have a good day. Thanks a lot. What's left of it? Yeah, you too. Cheers. Bye.